what ended up happening has become this beautiful thing. The community got to lean into its own strengths and step up and lead. And Forward Cities was able to just provide a, a supportive infrastructure for them uh, and a funding mechanism to allow that to thrive. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. My first guest this season is Faye Horwitt, who joined me from the Forward Cities headquarters in Durham, North Carolina. Since 2014, Forward Cities has worked in more than 50 communities around the nation and has a deep organizational well of knowledge that they share generously. I invited Faye on the show to share some of her hardest won lessons when it comes to managing conflict in ecosystems and to tell us more about how she builds trust every time Forward Cities shows up in a new community. Let's go on a tour of the U.S. through the lens of Forward Cities. Faye Horrid, if I were coming to your ecosystem for the first time, where would you take me? That is a loaded question because I work in many ecosystems. Uh, I would, I might drop a few. And that is uh, thinking first about my hometown where I live right now, which is Durham. And if you were to come to Durham, I would want to make sure um, you got sort of steeped in the history of Black Wall Street. And so we would uh, walk along uh, that corridor, that historical corridor here in Durham. Uh, I point out some of what are essentially the roots of black business uh, in Durham. And uh, I'd wanna bring you by Provident 1898, uh, which represents the resurgence of black Wall Street uh, here in Durham. I think when I think about my hometown of Winston-Salem, I would wanna bring you to where I got my own start as an ecosystem building. And that's a, a place called Flywheel uh, Coworking in downtown Winston. Uh, these are folks that have cared about equitable entrepreneurship ever since um, I landed there uh, and saw a need, uh, gave me a space and a home to be, and always seemed to care about and support equitable ecosystem building work, even though uh, they're uh, a white-led company. And then... I would say Baltimore comes to mind uh, as well. And that is where Forward Cities worked in partnership uh, with the Kauffman Foundation who funded our work for eShip Communities in Baltimore. Uh, is uh, Our work in Baltimore was led by uh, Paolo Gregory uh, mm -hmm. Harrison, just being able to see what he's been able to build uh, with what's called a Black Butterfly in initiative there. Uh, I'd wanna, you know, essentially have you sit with and meet a lot of his uh, the cohort and the businesses that have emerged and gone through that program to hear their stories firsthand. I can second almost all of that. I've never been to Winston-Salem, but when we hosted the SCN Summit in Durham and we got to go on a tour of Black Wall Street, it was, it still sticks with me today. And it's been six months, 
mm-hmm. I think. And I know that even some of the partners we brought were deeply touched by that experience. And that was wonderful. So excellent. Thank you for sharing, Faye. Sure. Um, a quick note on Forward Cities. I try to count up all of the ecosystems that you guys have worked in. <laughs> and I think I came up with over 10. You guys are working from Boston to Orange County, Florida, Kansas City to Rio Grande. There were so many communities that you're either actively involved in right now or you were involved in in the past. What do you do? How do you explain how Forward Cities builds ecosystems in so many different communities, adjusting to so many different cultures and contexts and people? What is the role of Forward Cities when it comes to ecosystem building? Forward Cities and our role in ecosystem building is... um... It's a big question and it's an evolving answer. <laughs> oh, we have been doing this work at, even before I joined the organization starting in 2014. And we've now worked with 50 plus communities um, wow. at one time or another in different ways. And, you know, when you think about that, uh, essentially, I, I basically have come to the place where I've I think if you've seen one ecosystem, you've seen one ecosystem. (laughs) That that is, you know, we went into this work, I think, in many ways, thinking about how can you create replicable models for ecosystem Mm -hmm. building. It's a part of uh, the work that we were engaged to do by the Kauffman Foundation through ESHIP, through the ESHIP Communities Program. And it's a way of Often when you think about trying to do uh, work in communities or work at a national level, in order to scale it, you begin to think about how can you how can you structure it and create uh, something that you can repeat, right? Mm-hmm. Replicable things cost less money. That's the way we originally approached it. But what we realized in, in sort of um, going into that pr- approach was that you can start off that way. We started off in Egypt communities with all of our four communities doing the same in the same way, expecting mm-hmm. they will they would follow the same path, the same timelines, and we we got literally to our first meeting before we realized that that that, that broke <laughs> that that way of thinking broke because you are dealing with when you talk about ecosystems, these are people. Ecosystems are made up of people. They're made up of people who all come with their own different perspectives their, and their organizations come with their own missions and goals. And you have to factor all of that in. You have to listen. You have to open up the conversation and what makes it a vibrant and, um, you know, healthy ecosystem is when all those voices are heard and you're able to weave them together into something that is greater, where the whole is greater than the individual parts. And there's no way if you're doing that effectively that it's going to get look the same in every place. But what we learned is that while you can't duplicate, you can think about uh, archetypes and patterns. And if you begin to think about what are the archetypes of ecosystems, for instance, what does it look like if you in in sort of ecosystems where there's a large black population that has been under-resourced? A Baltimore. Okay, what other types of ecosystems are like Baltimore? And so if we go to work with another community that has a similar uh, sort of uh, structure, then we can layer on a framework that has similar, uh, similar elements, 
but then it will still be different, but you're able to get halfway there because you, you know what that archetype looks like. And then patterns. What are the patterns that we see in ecosystems? Okay, well, there are some ecosystems where there's already a con convening body, already some sort of council or collaborative working together um, and thinking about, okay, in what ways are they working? Is it effective or not? That's a different type of pattern than an ecosystem where there is completely siloed. There is no collaborative body and you have to start that from scratch. So we've been able to think about these, think about ecosystem building in two ways. What are the skill sets? Because no matter what kind of ecosystem you have and in what stage, what archetype, there's certain ecosystem building skills that, that are mm -hmm. needed in every community. And these are things that can run throughout. And we see them as uh, in six categories, asset mapping, um, alignment, action, amplification, advocacy, assessment is the sixth one. That's fantastic. Is, um, you know, my follow-up question is going to be, is, is any of this written up yet? ready to be pulled off a shelf and handed out to all of the awesome ecosystem colleagues we have throughout the US? Is that in the process? Where do we, where do nerds like me read up <laughs> on this and dive deeper? Well, well, it's funny you should ask that. And uh, this is, this is a part of uh, how Forward Cities is thinking about our work going forward. And that is, yes, it's great to be working and doing deep dive work in communities, but mm -hmm. having worked across so many communities and having learned yeah. a lot of these lessons, um, we feel like we're in a, particularly with an equity lens, we are in a very unique position um, as one of the, I would say, one of the few, I don't even know if there's many organizations working primarily at the intersection of ecosystem building and equity. And I would say we are the leading organization doing that. And we want to think about, um, as we thought about how can we have and grow impact, it would be hard for us to to go, continue to go deep in and scale our work in communities at a large scale. So mm -hmm. how can we take what we've learned and scale that in a way that other communities and organizations can learn from us? And so we are now moving from being primarily a direct service provider to thinking about how can we create a learning network of, yes. of organizations that are, are doing this work that we can equip them with what we've learned so far. We're excited about what we are going to call our learning network, which is E3 Nation. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> and we're about to uh, embark on uh, an E3 Nation tour um, where we, wanna, we want to go into communities and help them catalyze this equitable ecosystem building work in, in, a, in a, a very specific and finite way over a two-day period where they get to just Communities get to dive in uh, deep and do this work with each other. And we get to impart um, our knowledge and our particularly related to the skill sets that we've talked about, um, our anti-racism training, um, the work that we're we've been doing around strategic doing to get them all catalyzing and working on something together, you know, uh, looking to connect with communities who, who want to dive in in that way and push that work forward. I know this is early days, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. As soon as this episode airs, people will reach out and say, great, we want to be involved. Can you come and see us? Can you come and help us? Um, what is that process going to look like for communities that really are interested in having Forward Cities come in for these two-day sprints and share so much of that expertise and sort of help them put that to action? 
if folks are interested now, the door is open. Um, by the time this airs, we will we will have a, a web page in place where folks can Great. reach out to us and get in touch. And we're excited about about what this looks like because there's a there's something about um, and and you've been a part of you know people have been a part of startup weekends and a part of mm -hmm. these sort of these catalytic moments in communities where you get everybody seeing from the same lens and the same perspective and they can see what's possible. And, yeah. and this idea that they, they have what it takes and forward cities being able to sort of catalyze that in, in sort of a very, um, the energy that you see when you go to a conference and you're part of a mm -hmm. conference or everybody goes to the conference and they're like, Oh, this is fantastic. We're going to do this. And then them being able to continue to engage with us after that, and with the other communities in any three nation uh, that are in the learning network, so they can continue to grow. And so that excitement actually has a place to 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 go afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, and what are other ways that forward cities can support communities after those two days? And what does that look like? Uh, so and and can they can learn continue to learn from each other because that's the Great. that's the value of conferences, right? People get to learn from one another. So we want to create an environment where that learning continues um, on an ongoing. I was just going to say that sounds like a great opportunity for peer learning and just Most seeing definitely. what other communities are struggling with so that instead of me always emailing Brett at Forward Cities about all things <laughs> equitable ecosystems, there will be other people who can receive those emails from me. Wonderful. Yeah, Thank you, Faye. Right. Um, why E3? Why not E2, E1, F6? <laughs> It's so funny. Um, equitable entrepreneurial ecosystems is where it started. Because that is a mouthful, uh, and yep. and a lot of people, when even when you say it, they don't necessarily understand what it means, and you have to explain it, um, which is great because you get to tell them the story of why we do what we do and why this is necessary. But it stands for equitable entrepreneurial ecosystems, and we've discovered it. Can, it stands for a couple of other things too, uh, as we've sort of been doing our work, and we wanted a, a simple way to kind of talk about what, what does that look like? Okay, equitable entrepreneurial ecosystems, but what does that mean? And, and we came up with this idea that, okay, well, it, what it means is equity for every entrepreneur. And that is another three E's. <laughs> but it's a, it's a more simple way uh, to communicate what that means. And then we also begin to think about um, what are the levels or the layers of an ecosystem? And one of the things we we see, the patterns that we recognize in the communities where we're working, is that there are sets of work and funding resources flowing into three different layers of an ecosystem. One is the entrepreneur layer, and the first E being um, money, money and efforts going into direct funding for entrepreneurs and market opportunities for them. Then a second layer being the equippers, the second E, which is, okay, the people who provide education and support uh, for entrepreneurs and resources and making sure that those folks have the, the right capacity to do the work and the correct funding, the needed funding to do the work, uh, just like entrepreneurs need the correct funding. And then this third layer, which is the ecosystem layer, the third, another E, <laughs> which is Okay, you, you, if you go up yet another level, there's, okay, how do you get every, all the players aligned and how do you connect the dots between uh, 
and the flow of resources between the equippers that have the resources and the entrepreneurs that need the resources. And how do you make sure that that everyone in ecosystem is heading in the same direction, aligned with the same goals and mission, and that work is funded as well? And so these these three layers have to all be active, um, all three E's. So um, you asked me one question and I gave you three different answers. <laughs> I love it. That is such a rich answer to what I thought was a simple question. That's wonderful. Thank you, Faye. Sure. So Faye, I think one of these currencies that we use when we build and nurture and convene ecosystems is the idea of social capital, of do we have people in our network who we trust and who trust us that we are willing and actually excited to collaborate and move something forward together? It's a very loaded concept, but I wanted to hear from you with so many different communities. What types of conflict does arise and how does social capital help us resolve that? Can you give us an example of a conflict, which I think is very naturally ecosystem building and explain a little bit more about who was involved, what was the issue and where did that conflict arise? Sure. Um, I'll go back to, to a conflict that arose when I, in my hometown ecosystem. And this has to do with, and a lot of conflicts uh, I find have to do with fear. Most of them have at their root cause fear. And in this particular case, which is often the case, fear of uh, not getting funding or someone else getting funding. There's a scenario uh, in community that, that we worked in where there was, there was an opportunity to you know, be funded to facilitate a set of work. And one, one entity organization raised their hand and said, I will do that. Now, before mm -hmm. that, nobody was interested in doing that set of work. What emerged is then other organizations or entities looked and said, oh, we don't want them to do that set of work. <laughs> you know, the fear that that group would get something that they weren't getting. And whether it was for the, for, Uh, the correct reasons or not, um, this fear drove, you know, now this sort of competitive landscape where it's like multiple people wanting yeah. to do the same set of work, right? When this happens, which is, it happens all the time, you know, other instances are um, when something is happening and people feel like they're the only organization left out or somebody gets credit for something uh, that multiple people worked on. <laughs> you know, there's, there's sort of this fear of either not getting funding, not getting recognition, not being seen, not having your voice heard. These are all very real human emotions and organizations also have emotions. I like, I like to think about organizations have their own life, right? And so they have their own history and perspective in an ecosystem where they've ha had experiences happen to them as an organization that cause harm and trauma, just like individuals have harm and trauma. And it again, creates fear. Um, and so the way I would say I've seen to address that fear is, is almost to do the opposite of what you are tempted to do. You are typically, we are tempted when we feel that is to um, gossip, 
and you go about getting other people riled up and upset about the thing, but you never go and talk, rarely go and talk to the person or the organization or the entity and say, hey, I have a concern because of this. And I'm afraid that if this happens or because this happened, this is what will be the result. I believe that you address the fear and the lack of trust with truth. And what I've seen is that we're so afraid that if we speak our truth, people are not gonna like it. They're gonna get upset. It's gonna cause us damage in some way. But nine times out of 10, when you tell your truth, either as an individual or as an organization, people go, oh, either I didn't know. Thank you for telling me. Oh, okay, well, let's talk, let's talk this through. Or I understand, or I empathize, or and it just then lets all the air out of the conflict bubble. Because then everything's on the table, and then they will often respond with their truth as well. And that is when the door breaks wide open and you can get breakthrough to something better. So this is a great example of a very difficult question that yielded a very simple answer, but not an easy answer. Because when you say, you just got to go talk to them, tell them your truth, it will make things better. I'm like, yeah, no, um, <laughs> that sounds really scary. That sounds incredibly hard. I don't know that we are, and, and I don't want to say we everybody, but I know about myself that I'm not very skilled or trained in speaking my truth in a way that is productive, especially if I'm scared, if I'm fearful, if I'm hurt, it's going to get very emotional really quickly. <laughs> how, how do you speak your truth, Faye Horwood, in a productive way? That has been a huge learning lesson for me um, over the last four or five years. Because I'm a person that um, I enjoy writing. I would feel like I think I'm a pretty good writer. And, and what I used to do um, in my hometown ecosystem, you know, when things would frustrate me, be, because I had developed a following, I thought, oh, well, I'll just write a blog about this thing that I'm upset about. <laughs> and, and that is one way of speaking truth. But the challenge with that is that is that that then puts a truth out there to more than the people or the person that I actually had the challenge with. And, and then all it does is layer on harm because those people, they recognize themselves in that, in that they, they know. Uh, and then it just, it causes a deeper rift and nothing gets solved, you know, and, and then you could sort of talk to other people about it. That doesn't solve anything either. Writing an email is probably the worst thing that you could do. <laughs> That's another lesson I had to learn. I used to write these super long emails. Here's what I think. Here's what, how you harm me. Here's what you, because that was yeah. my way of speaking. Another way of speaking truth. Yeah. Problem is you are now putting things in a, uh, a context where you could be misunderstood, misconstrued, context sort of out of whack. People can't read a tone, a voice, uh, an intention, an none of that. And you have a permanent record that could <laughs> that could harm you with other yeah. people in other ways. So 
what I have come to is, is learning to, even though it feels like the hardest thing to do, have a face-to-face -face conversation, write out some of beforehand, some of the points that you want to make mm -hmm. and think through beforehand, what are likely ways or some scenarios of ways this person might respond and be prepared with essentially apologetics of, okay, how might you sort of uh, respond if they say certain things? Uh, and you have the, you have the conversation face to face. Um, because people are typically going to be caught off guard, I will tell you. Um, and they're not going to want to escalate things. And so likely it will lead to an open exchange of conversation. And if not, then you have at least attempted to resolve the issue in the only way that it's ever going to get resolved. And that is one-on-one. -on -one. Let me pause you right here because you made so many good points that I, I want to hone in on. Number one, like you, my preferred way of processing truth and thoughts and fears is in writing. And I have definitely gone the wrong way with that before. What I realized as you were speaking was, oh my God, it's kind of, it's a touch of gossiping if you write something and put it out into the world for everybody to read. So that's what you said earlier is we're going to tell everybody about it, but the person that this affects or the organization, which of course they can read it, but it's way out there when it's no one's business until this conflict has been at least addressed. And we had this issue just recently in the Shenandoah Valley where a partner provided feedback to a different organization really from the bottom of their heart But because it came in an email, there was so little nuance, there was so little tone that it could have been interpreted in so many different ways. And guess what? It was interpreted in the in the worst possible way. It, it came across as very aggressive, confrontational, which was not the intention. And the only way I know that is that I reached out to that organization to have the conversation and get clarity. And I realized that the intention of all organizations involved was we want to serve entrepreneurs. That is the first and foremost thing we're here to achieve. We just have different ways of going about it. But because there wasn't that one-on-one -on -one conversation that is scary, that forces you to be vulnerable, it it just went off the rails. And it was a it wasn't a huge conflict, but it was an unnecessary conflict. And I took away the same thing that you just described of having that conversation. And one thing I'm learning over and over again is how to reel back my emotion a little bit and learn to speak in ways that don't make it so damn personal because the work is so damn personal. So it takes a lot of practice to not take it out completely, but find ways to communicate in a way that is constructive and that shows some reflection and some distance before you dive into pulling each other's hair out and scratching faces and just being, being really aggressive on that front. Thank yes. you, Faye, for sharing that. Hey there. While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind-the-scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now, back to the show. One of the things we throw around a lot in ecosystem building is, oh, you got to build trust, 
trust is the foundation of everything. Uh, we build at the speed of trust. You know, just trust me, which is probably the most untrustworthy thing to say to anyone. How do you think about building trust, especially when Forward Cities goes into a community that you haven't worked with before? What does that process look like for you guys? Trust is so multi-layered. And, and I like to think about it from a standpoint of um, concentric circles. So we think about building trust often if, when we work at the ecosystem level. We think about trust between organizations And we know that that's challenging because they're often fighting for the same resources, uh, you know, trying to make their mark, you know, in community, trying to find their place and their sweet spot. Um, but in the end, even though I, even though organizations have their own identity, organizations are made up of people. And human beings is, is sort of, you have to start at that human level when you talk about trust. And one of the most basic things you can do to build trust with folks that are, are new to you is to, is to do the thing you say you're going to do. Show up, keep showing up. And if you say you're going to do something or accomplish something or lend a resource or share a thing or make an introduction or whatever you say you're going to do, just do it. It can be tiny things. It can be small things, but the more you do that, the more people trust you. And if you we all know this, if you trust people with small things, then you begin to trust people with bigger things. And then as you develop personal trust with individuals in organizations and within the ecosystem, then you can begin to extend that trust from an organizational to an organization. And so particularly if you're having relationships with multiple people in your organization, which I highly recommend, yeah. is you begin to get a true perspective of the values of that organization if you are touching more than one person. And so you mentioned Brett, you know, for instance, um, who works with Forward Cities on our team. And I, in as much as possible, try and bring in other members of our team to meet other organizations and to sort of work in community because they can begin to see the human beings that we that we are made up of. So who is our DNA as an organization? And if you meet just me, then you think, oh, Forward Cities is Faye, but Forward Cities is not Faye. And you meet a Brett and then you meet a Michelle and you meet you know other folks and you begin to see all of the human characteristics and the values that make up this organization. And it's not just a, a faceless entity. This is a group of human beings Uh, that have have their own identities, their own individual sort of ways of being, but also have a collective identity as an organization. And the more the organization can show up and do the thing that it says it's going to do, the more you build trust. And one of the hardest things we face as a national organization is coming into a community that already has its own established relationships and identities and humans and um, and someone in their community has determined that they want to pay Forward Cities to come and help them. And so what immediately can happen is them getting their back up and going, well, why do we need outside help? What can't we do together? And it's often that thing, it's that trust thing that is often the thing that they need the most help with. 
I have been on the other side of that. I have been the local where someone in the ecosystem had paid a different national organization to come in and do what we were just starting out to do. And it was not pretty. That relationship did, did not prosper, go figure. Um, so I know exactly what you mean. And I think that, you know, many of our colleagues have been in this situation on either side of the equation and felt threatened. And I think it brings it back to what you said earlier. It's that fear of, oh, why are you bringing in forward cities into our community when we could be doing things together or, you know, feel like something may be taken away from them instead of thinking, this is something I've learned is, oh, if they're coming with the right intentions, they could actually catalyze our efforts, help us do more or do it more effectively or do it with more impact. So breaking down those barriers and building that trust is so, so crucial. Well, well what we find, you know, to your point is that, uh, and, and I don't know if most organizations know this, but often funders who bring us in in that circumstance, they tell us that the reason why we are funding you to do this ecosystem level work is because we see there is a lack of trust and collaboration in the local ecosystem. We see infighting. We see them sort of uh, duplicating efforts and not working together and not aligning. And we believe that the only way that they will do that is if we there's an outside party that can help with that trust building and alignment. But most of those organizations can't see that because they're no. in the middle of it. They can't see it. Um, and, and it's hard. And so we, as a third party, we, what we've learned is that we, what we cannot do is come in and play savior and we cannot come in and, and dictate. It's the reason why forward cities engagements are designed the way they are. And that is as, as frameworks and infrastructures, not as, as dictates. And so what we do is we come in and we help create an environment in which the local organizations can find themselves and sort of be able to let go of the need to be the leader, right? No one needs to be the leader. No one needs to have that weight on them for this time period. Because what, what I've learned, and this is something just recently sort of has come to me, a thing cannot build itself. It's very hard for uh, players of an ecosystem to build the ecosystem infrastructure. Everyone needs to be equal. There needs to be no conflicts of interest. And so you almost need a third party facilitator to be able to come, come and walk alongside folks that has someone, an entity that has, has no skin in the game, no conflict of interest, you know, and how it goes what direction they go, what they choose to do, but it's just creating and holding space for them all to be on an equal playing field with each other and find their way together. And that's what we hope to do, is to be able to hold that space uh, and to equip them with the skills they'll need to do that together uh, long-term and sustainably. That is so insightful. It's a totally different value proposition. Instead of Forward Cities is going to come in and build your ecosystem for you, it's Forward Cities is going to come in and hold space for everything that's already happening to find the seat that they want to be in, that they're best equipped to be in. And then from there, figure out 
how to do this work, how right. to move the ecosystem forward, how to support entrepreneurs. So it's really more, it feels like creating the space and setting up the musical chair and pressing play. Right. And then see where people land. And we hope that in that, that some entity or entities emerge as, oh, guess what? We are best suited to actually be the ecosystem building lead because we're we're good at facilitating. We're good at convening. We're good at, uh, you know, data collection. Um, we're good at storytelling. And maybe it's one entity or maybe it's multiple entities because those different skill sets can live in different places. Um, but we want to be able to help create that space and hold that space for them to figure those things out and for leaders to emerge. How long do you typically, if there is a typical yet, I don't know, how long do you typically stay involved with an ecosystem until they're in a place where you feel confident that they're in a good place and you can sort of retreat and move on to the next community? Well, I mean, and that's why where we've landed where we have, and that is that we used to be in a community for two or three years. Um, way too long, uh, in my opinion, and <laughs> based on what we've learned. Um, when you do it that long, you create a dependency. Um, and that really is not sustainable um, once once you leave. And we know that we're sort of like backing up from this. And so this idea of starting with a small time period, starting with a um, maybe a two days to to get people talking about and understanding what they may need. And so this idea of rather than us determining for an ecosystem how long that will take or what they need. In that two-day time period, those conversations uh, and what they're learning and what they're being exposed to will help them sort of begin to see themselves in a different way and start to ask those questions. Okay, what do we need really? What don't we have already? Um, and then we can have the conversation with four cities around, okay, you're only missing this one piece and we can help yeah. you do this one piece and that will just take a couple of months. Or you, you really don't have... Um, certain big pieces of this in order to move it forward, you may, we may, may need to work with you for a year. Yeah. So not only are you as Forward Cities building social capital with those players in the ecosystem, but you're also helping them lower barriers, build trust and build their social capital among each other, which that, is so powerful. That is the, the root of, I believe, that's our sweet, sweet spot um, where we want to sort of lean in. A lot of folks approach systems change work um, from, you know, if ever seen that pyramid, systems change pyramid, um, at the top of it is is pr policies, programs, and resource flow. Um, and a lot of uh, ecosystem building organizations attack this work from that, the top of that pyramid. Uh, and then, you know, on the second layer of that pyramid is relationships and connect connections and power dynamics. And if those two things are not working and flowing well, Uh, then you will you will not get sustainable. The top of the funnel was not sustainable. You will start programs and then they will founder. You will, you will not be able to get policies passed because you don't have the relationships and the connectivity to, to get that over the finish line. And you can throw resources and money at a problem, but unless the power, if the power dynamics are broken, it will break down, right? And then at the bottom of that systems change pyramid is uh, mindset. And that is if everyone's not thinking about things from the same lens and have a shared and common vision and values, then you can't build the relationships and connectivity that you need. The power dynamics will be broken. And then you will definitely never get to the, the policies 
programs and resource flow right. And so Forward Cities wants to come and with our with our anti-racism programming and some of our, our programming around how do you think about what is the root of these inequities? Unless you start there, which is where we want to start and get everyone thinking on the same wavelength, then you can't do the rest of the work. And so, you know, we're sort of flipping the typical approach. I wish I'd had forward cities in my career as an ecosystem builder, because I remember there were situations where I really thought, how does this partner not see what I'm seeing? And hearing you talk, I realized, well, because they had a different lens. We all had that same goal, but we had very different experiences that had shaped us, a lot of politics and personal histories and things that had happened that really prevented us from seeing that big picture and 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 really standing in someone else's shoes. And that's not even talking about the racial divide and the so many different communities that make up that big community. So that would have been so helpful. And there really were times where I was so frustrated that I thought, I cannot see this ever being resolved because we are so caught up in our own stuff that it's really hard to look at that big picture. And I can see why having a third-party convener come in and break open that space is so beneficial. And it's the one thing that people are most afraid of. Why? It's messy. And everyone's afraid to see, to expose their own mess and their own sort of fears. And, and they often assume that people already know and or should know. Why don't they? they should, how many times do we say, why don't they see this? They should understand this. Don't they see what we're seeing? No, the answer is no, <laughs> often not. And so being willing to be messy. I, I used to think that to wish, why can't we just get past this mess and do the work? That is the work. And that is the work. Yes. And so owning that as an ecosystem builder and, and being able to sit in some of the mess um, is often the best way forward. And one of the things that we've also learned is that winning question in an ecosystem, if there's decisions to be made, if there's ever a question, the more voices you have in the decision-making process, the better. Yeah, Faye, but what if these are the voices I don't like? Or the voices who slighted me in the past? Or even worse, what if Forward Cities comes in and says, you know what, Annika? We've mapped all of the assets and I feel like we don't really need you. I mean, it's so much of that comes back to the fear of having a right to be in the room. And and this is for someone like me who is white, middle class, like I have everything that I could possibly want for. But how scary is that for communities that have been historically under-resourced, underrepresented, who, who've barely ever had a seat at the table, if at all? I can... It just gets messier. The more we talk, I'm like, yeah, um, I, I think I'm going to leave ecosystem building. It sounds so messy and so scary and so hard. Yeah. And I would say that most of that is is rooted in, particularly when we talk taking equity lens, is rooted in the power dynamics. There's got to be an awareness around and a willingness to, to acknowledge, see and acknowledge what those power dynamics are. Sometimes they're they're about race. Sometimes they're about gender. Sometimes they're about 
who has the money and who doesn't, um, you know, who has systemically or historically been the one that made the decisions. Where does power sit in certain communities? Who's the gatekeepers? Who, you know, understanding and all of that and being willing to come together on, on somewhat of an, an equal playing field while still acknowledging where those dynamics lie is, is crucial. And it's part of the reason why we use strategic doing um, methodology uh, in some of our work is because that is a, a way of helping um, people come together and work together when they can't tell each other what to do, when there is no hierarchy. How do you get people together and, and collaboratively working and taking action together without um, power dynamics being constantly at play? Uh, and teach, you know, helping people build their muscles and what that looks like. Um, you know, I work in Baltimore. I cried at one point um, early on because um, we came in with our, oh, here's the framework and this is what we're going to do. And I had my, my 30 a slide deck that I was going to say, hey, here's the, here's the plan. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we got like three slides in when we started talking about, you know, all the research we were going to do. And they said, hold up. They said, this community has been surveyed to death. And we have had our data taken and stolen. And people say they kind of come in and do this with the data and they never do. And then it doesn't help the communities that they have surveyed. And it's caused trauma. So how is this going to be any different? And why should we trust that this is going to be any different? That became the conversation for the rest of, of that meeting. The slide wow. deck had to wait because guess what? These people were not ready for the rest of that converse, the rest of that tech. And we were not going to get to that until we addressed those things. And I remember leaving that, that meeting, like crying, not from the standpoint of, oh, I didn't get to finish my presentation, but crying because of the trauma and damage that, that I heard from this ecosystem of what these people have been through and how they have been in their, in, from their perspectives used for other organizations to get money. It made me step back. And it was a huge reason why our work shifted in Baltimore is that we had to step back and, and understand that this community is, was different than all the rest. And each of them, we all had our, uh, you know, sort of a, a pivotal moment with all of the communities different in each community. But in this one, it was just really visceral that, oh, okay, there, there is something that we have to acknowledge that has to be different here. We cannot go forward the way it was. We have to factor in the power dynamics that have led to where this ecosystem is. And we need to structure their engagement specifically to address that. Is it fair to say that you had to build up that trust first through that long conversation before you were able to dive into the ecosystem? For that? sure, for sure. And it, it took many conversations after that. But had I had I just blown through and said, you know, shut that down and said, no, we got to get through this and this is what we're going to do, then the trust would have devol was devolved even further and that, that community would have been further damaged. And it gave us an opportunity to do what ended up happening, which is, has become this beautiful thing. And that is, is that the community got to lean into its own strengths and, and step up and lead. And Forward Cities was able to just provide a, a supportive infrastructure for them 
uh, and a funding mechanism to, to allow that to thrive and to be stood up. Uh, and that's what they needed. They didn't need a full ecosystem design. They didn't need us, but we were able to, within our grant infrastructure, give them the room to do what they needed to do as a community. And in that, their trust for us grew. The more and more we sort of showed them that we, we heard them and that we were responding to what we were hearing. Uh, and that's what it takes within any ecosystem. As an ecosystem builder, um, we need to be listening more than we are talking. <laughs> I have to ask you this because I, th I know it comes up for a lot of ecosystem builders and it comes up for me. When you talk about power dynamics, gatekeepers, barriers, how do you handle stakeholders in an ecosystem who aren't even aware of their position, who assume everybody has the same power and who assume there, there are no issues because they don't see them? How do you, do you have a quick fix that we can please get these uh, people do, on the actually. right page? <laughs> <laughs> What what we found is that um, that conversation needs to happen first or early, as early as possible, um, and it is why we why we developed a a training. Uh, it's a, our, and a methodology called Abide. For us, this is very specific to anti racism, uh, and it is an anti racism training for uh, for ecosystem builders for for anyone in, for entrepreneurial support organizations for funders for everyone in the ecosystem to help them understand the systemic realities of, of racism and how it specifically impacts entrepreneurs um, of color and, and organizations of color that support entrepreneurs um, because they deal with some of the same systemic issues. We encourage everyone to sort of take this training before we do anything else because it helps set the a framework and mindset for the rest of the work that is to come. Um, and people can begin to see their own positioning. And so we think about this from a standpoint of, again, inside out. Yes, you're thinking about uh, anti-racism at the, at the ecosystem level, at the organizational level, and where it starts, again, starts with the human, it starts with the, the individual. So we ask individuals to consider their own personal positioning. How are they individually coming into the ecosystem and what does their lived experience and their demography and their, um, you know, positioning society, what are they bring? What is, are they bringing into the ecosystem as a result? And a lot of folks don't even realize what that looks like. Nope. What are they bringing into their organization as a result of that? And how does that, How does that sort of impact the way they make decisions, the way they serve entrepreneurs, the way they treat their staff, the way they build their board, all of these things, right? The way they fund uh, within the ecosystem. And so we ask people to sort of take a pause before we dig into some of this work and to, and to consider their own positioning, to learn and understand and see each other, um, to see where they are, uh, where they sort of differ, where the perspectives may be different and why, and respect people's lived experiences and background is valid, respect their truth um, because it's theirs. <laughs> uh, and to, to think about also 
how do you remind people what are the questions and things they need to be considering as they build their ecosystem? And this abide framework is based on this idea of considering who has access to what to what things in the ecosystem in what ways? Are you creating a sense of belonging uh, in certain settings? Is the environment and, and environments and programs inclusive of all intentionally? Is there a diversity of perspectives and, and demographics and how can you be intentional about creating that diversity? And lastly, equity. And that is, this is the hardest one for folks because it's one thing to be diverse and inclusive but you also have to think about what is the history of the lack of inclusion and diversity? What is the damage that is created for individuals and organizations? And how do you make up for that? How can you build and design things in a compensatory way and have a leadership and decision-making this compensatory so that it makes up for those things? Faye, that is such hard work that I truly believe very few organizations and people are equipped to do. And you at Forward Cities have a lot of practice. And I'm so grateful that you share so willingly and so openly about what you're learning in real time and give us a chance to learn alongside you and learn from your experiences. I could talk to you for hours about this. <laughs> and I hope I'll have you back on the show to dive deeper into so many of the things that we didn't even get a chance to touch on today. But I want to let you go back to the important work that you have to do for this country and all the entrepreneurs and ecosystems that are out there. So I am going to change direction here and just remind everybody, if you want to find out more about what Faye and Forward Cities are doing, please head over to forwardcities.org. You can learn more about the Abide framework. You can learn more about Black Street Forward, a lot of the E3 communities that Forward Cities has been involved in and is currently working on. Trust me, it's one of the best rabbit holes you'll ever go down on and a lot of impact stories that are written and produced at such a high quality that I think is just a wonderful resource for ecosystem builders in all different positions within their ecosystems. With that, dear Faye, I want to get to our rapid fire round where I give you the beginning of a sentence and you get to finish it. Don't overthink it. The first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Um, one thing I want to say before we start, I did want to, to share and make sure that everyone knew all the wonderful things you talked about that Forward Cities does. Um, the amazing team that we have that is a part of making all those things a reality. It is not just me. Uh, and I'm so grateful that we have a fabulous staff um, that works really hard to serve communities and, and is dedicated to this work. I can vouch to that. Forward Cities people are really good people. And do reach out to them because Faye is also incredibly busy. And you will learn a lot from Daryl and Brad and Michelle and the wonderful team that is working at Forward Cities. So thank you for thank you for highlighting. All right, Faye, first question. Social capital is? Network capital. Who is one ecosystem builder who does this really well? Oh, cute. That's a big question. <laughs> um, Annika Horn. Annika Horn is just getting there, but thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Lastly, one resource, this could be a book, a podcast, a video, a blog that influenced you as an ecosystem builder that you would recommend to others. The Rainforest, Victor Wong. 
Excellent choice. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. All right, Faye, like I said, I could talk to you for hours about this and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again real soon. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate you sharing everything that you've shared today and I hope to talk to you soon. As always, it's been fantastic being with you. Be sure to find out more about Faye and Forward Cities at forwardcities.org and read more about Faye's backstory in the community section of Social Ventures, which I link to in the show notes. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Ella's past, present and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. Yellow House Media